0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome in. Welcome back. This is Polar FC. We're back at it again. Another Wednesday night for us recording here. Of course, we got a fully packed show. We'll start with a little social media plug. I got to do it this week. I got to pick up for for Chris's slack, but it's all right. No worries. We'll, we'll, we'll carry on. Show must go on without him. But polar fc pod at polar fc pod on twitter follow us give us a like give us a follow send us some dms tell us what to talk about um but yeah we're here again it's another beautiful wednesday i'm in a different location i don't know where you guys are at but how's everyone
1: doing this week
2: Doing well, oh, you know. Oh,
1: uh, another, uh, another. Starts. I was gonna say another Wednesday, um. But you know, I'm happy to be here. I'm still in the same location, uh. But I have a lot more free time since I graduated last week. So, um, you know, here to kind of, I guess, fully commit my time to, like we mentioned last week, to uh, Polar Media.
3: How was that? How, How was that was wedding? wedding? You didn't you go to?
1: Oh yeah that one that was pretty fun. we went to uh, we ended up going to uh, South Jersey and then we the after party was in philly, which um if you guys have not ubered from Jersey to Philly, don't do it. I <laughs> recommend
3: you to just how long is that have Uber
1: it's it's not bad. it was like a 20 thirty minute Uber but what's worse is you have to wait I waited fifty five minutes for an Uber and on top of that we paid seventy dollars for it. yeah so... I was gonna say
0: that has to be pretty pricey what did you go over like right near camden there go over the yep, bridge
1: yeah yeah
0: oh that's that's tough i would probably like
1: quadruple the, the toll prices or something but i would have went i think there's a ferry that
0: goes like across i would i would have opted for that for that option but i mean you probably would have had to walk more for that. yeah
1: next time next time i'll keep it in mind
0: next next time you you have to travel <laughs> from uh new jersey to philly how about you yep. vandy how you doing
3: yeah, I didn't do anything like that. Uh, <laughs> just been here in Atlanta. Uh, finishing up school first or yeah, first year of grad. So now I'm in the summer trying to navigate and read up and <clears throat> enjoy. I know the soccer season is winding down, so I'll be a little sad trying to figure out what to do, but <laughs> just been chilling.
0: Don't worry, there's lots of excitement coming up and plus you can still hang out with us every Wednesday and talk soccer, of course. There you go. All right, so let's get into it. We'll start with, you know, the topic that we always start with. We'll start with the Super League. Uh, nothing too hot coming off the presses this week, uh, as far as what I've seen. I think right now the transition is is more towards like a legal battle. A lot of like legal things where. You know they're looking into international courts. They're looking into you know various different uh, courts in the nations or in the countries, and like kind of like working out some sort of agreement in that sense. But I mean, there's there's definitely a bit of fallout at the clubs. But I think in terms of the Super League itself, it's more of a uh, a legal issue, legal battle now, but. Maybe a little bit not quite as exciting as the whole fan revolt, fan involvement part, but yeah, certainly, certainly illegal. A lot of legal stuff coming up. Uh, KR, any, any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the latest thing I had seen on my end um, was we had a bunch of uh, legends or Premier League legends. They, they were essentially trying to, like you mentioned, step into that legal aspect of it, right? Um, they're trying to, Uh, call for movements or call for actions that prevent this from ever happening again, or at least this conversation being brought up again. Uh, And we had Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, and uh, Gary Lineker, all of whom made the Premier League what it is, you know, from how they've played in the past. They were legends at Manchester United and other clubs, and um, they're trying to make sure those clubs stay in the Premier League and and not abandon the roots uh, that we had kind of, discussed about in the previous week so it's interesting uh but like you mentioned it's sort of like fading now from the public forefront to going into the um i would say maybe the political desks and and you know kind of ending up on that area so we'll see what happens next if anything does happen
0: yeah exactly and and i think the clubs have to be looking into some sort of legal remedies as well they're set to lose a lot of money from Going into this contract and then opting out, um, so I'm sure, I'm sure the sports lawyers and agencies are all on call uh, for all the different clubs about this. But yeah, that's that's basically it. I think as far as Super League stuff goes, of course we'll we'll keep our listeners updated here. But that's that's about it for this week. What I really wanted to talk about this week is the World Cup. So we've got the World Cup coming up in Qatar. Uh, obviously, it's, it's a hot button issue uh, with Qatar in general. Um, and I do want to start just by talking about like how I how unique the World Cup is, in my opinion. Like I think the only thing that kind of rivals it would be the Olympics, in the sense that all of the nations are included on this huge scale. And I think that aspect of it really makes it bigger than just soccer. So like this week, I think I read something about North Korea, like formally withdrawing from the World Cup. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, like North Korea is in the World Cup. Like uh, just that, that aspect of it is kind of crazy. And like I said, you know, all of the nations in Qatar being the host, you have to say, like, you know, there are always going to be some, like, questionable nations or countries where you're like, uh, should, should they really get to, like, be involved in some of these things? But I don't know. I, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on that, just about, like, the whole international aspect and maybe how some of the countries and, and international tensions can play out.
2: That's an interesting aspect. I, I guess... Yeah, but- My main concern with the
3: Qatar thing was the temperature. I mean, they said that the final would be in December of that year. So that's kind of weird. I imagine getting a World Cup final on Christmas morning. But um, no, seriously, I mean, that's an interesting thing. Whenever you think about that region, it's been a region that's obviously had its tensions for numerous, numerous amount of decades, for much of our lifetimes, literally You see what's happening in Gaza right now. So, um, just that region, um, it does does you know draw questions of international conflict and nations uh, that may have some turmoil or or some things um, lying around. So we'll wait. We'll have to wait and see how things develop. But I think people will use the game as a safe haven to maybe get away from those things. I think North Korea is just um, on the extreme side of the spectrum where. Where, where the tensions were very high, so they, they back out. But I think if there are tensions between nations, we'll probably just see uh, some posters at games like hashtag this, hashtag that, trying to raise, raise awareness. But for the most part, I think people are going to use their countries to kind of – uh, like where 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 the uh, where the slogans on their sleeve, so to speak, and like if you see a goal scored by somebody, they may, you know go to the camera and do a little heart or something like that, a little gesture to to, to raise awareness. But I don't think it'll come to a point where uh, nations are visibly um, going on the news and <laughs> making these greater headlines. I think it's just going to be kind of kind of uh, behind the scenes stuff.
0: Yeah, see where you're coming from, Vandy. Like, I know as far as Bayern goes, I've seen them, like, wear, like, oh, they'll all wear shirts and they'll say, like, human rights. Or I think that wasn't Bayern, sorry, that was Germany, I believe. You know, it says, like, human rights. And there's protests about, you know, teams going and playing in guitar because of just, like, the human rights violations, I believe, that are occurring with the workers and building stadiums. But it's tough. I mean, when you think about just internationally, there, every single country has at least something going wrong for it. And, you know, what's what's the weight? How are we going to weigh this? What's exactly. acceptable and what's not? And then also just the essence of the World Cup is that all the nations can play in it. Right. So if you're going to start, you know, taking out countries and saying, oh, you can't play, maybe that lessens the the
1: feeling or the the meaning of the World Cup.
2: I think that's the
1: big issue that I had with it, right? Um, We know that the World Cup's this, uh, I guess, uh, spectacle that happens every four years. Uh, People are kind of rejoiced all all around the world, you know, no matter what um, issues might be lying around on the different communities or the people watching it. It's kind of like brings everybody together, right? Uh, Whether you watch the sport or not, it's something that's heard about in the news. Uh, you know, seen on social media nowadays, and and it's kind of everywhere every four years, right? And something that happened, like all these things that happen with human rights and um, the migrant workers from India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal, um, and kind of the horrific circumstances they've been facing, and um, the backlash that FIFA has been getting, all that kind of goes in the for- like the the back end of everything, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The only thing in the forefront is. You know, it's the World Cup, it's going to happen no matter what. And it's where countries will kind of, um, you know, make a name for themselves or players will kind of represent their country for the, all of those fans, right? It, it's almost as if we forget and we forgive FIFA whenever it's a World Cup talk. Um, and I think these little minor, you know, protests or on, uh, on field kind of um, stances against what FIFA has been doing is going to go a long way. Um, I think this might be only just the beginning for it. We know FIFA is a pretty powerful organization uh, and, you know, they they can kind of get away with everything. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what changes are made. Because think about it, like if, because it was an issue, right? With temperatures, like they're protecting the players. They move the entire tournament to now winter time to protect the players. But at the same time, they still have workers working in, in the blazing heat out there, no matter what. So where does yeah. that fine line, you know, land? I don't know. Uh, but again, as fans, we're just like, okay, World Cup's
3: coming every four years, so let's go Mike. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember in 2018, you had Iran in the group stages, and one of the bigger headlines was that they were finally allowing women at soccer matches. Um, yeah. And it's just crazy to think that a country in <laughs> – our generation was still not allowing that in the first place you know so I think the World Cup is just going to be a stage for people to wear a, a, a raise awareness um and just you know like probably have something written on their on their, on their kit there's there's their armband or their socks but I don't think it's going to be something as latent uh to where it it, it really changed it, it really changes something I I think it's just going to be players just raising awareness for different causes and what the issue may be in that specific moment in time, because I feel like, I feel like the whole world should have been against Iran, but how am I just not finding out about that because of the world cup, that women weren't allowed to go to games, you know? Right. I think that's a good way to look at it.
1: I had one question for you guys too. Um, You know, with with like world events, like the uh, Olympics or world cup, we kind of see, uh, the city kind of gets some to- some sort of reputation, right? Uh, and that's kind of, I would say, already been a little tarnished for Qatar. Um, how do you guys think that kind of plays out? Uh, I think the best comparison I can make is, like, everybody kind of grew an eye to, um, you know, Japan or-, or Korea when they were hosting the Olympics, and every stadium would be very, very, like, you know, clean because all the fans would stay back and literally take all the trash there is in the stadium, right? And we've never seen that again on a world scale. We've probably never seen that before. Uh, but Qatar already has this, I guess, ugly side to it. What do you guys think? Like, how's that going to play out if the World Cup, you know, finally goes through it and everything?
3: I think it just really is a subjective statement. I mean, a subjective case by case thing. Cause, like, let's look at it from 2018 Russia's perspective. You had people in Sochi, you had people in Moscow, St. Petersburg, all over the country you know, for different venues, and the stadiums look really clean, but um, a lot of Russians would argue that their society, a lot of the money um, is driven towards Russia, I mean, towards Moscow and St. Petersburg, and not really, the other the other cities don't really get as much funding, but from our perspective, it looked really nice, but um, I, I wonder what the aftermath was, like, after people left and people went back to, you know, their homes after the the tournament. Um, And then if you go back to Rio, when they hosted the Olympics, they were building these massive facilities, but you had people complaining that these, like, nobody goes to these stadiums. Like, they're unused. They're unused. They just, they were built. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars to build them, and now nobody's using them. They're just, they're just there collecting dust and collecting rust. Um, So it's really a case-by-case thing. But if you think about, if the U.S. were to host a, um were to host a World Cup with Mexico or whether it be with Canada, whether you know just be by by US by itself, it would generate a lot of money for each city and it would think the city would keep building from that point on. but um for the countries that like a Qatar or like a Russia who hasn't really hosted something like something with that many people for such long periods of time, I'm not I'm not really sure what the aftermath would be. it depends on the country I say. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Vandy, you brought up kind of something I was going to mention too with Brazil and how they built these huge stadiums and now basically they don't really use them because nobody needs a stadium that can hold that many people in like a normal sporting event. So it's it's definitely a good explanation of some of the upfront costs that the countries have to go through to hold these, you know, whether it be the Olympics or the World Cup. I mean, when you get back to it, it's really all about tourism i think at the end of the day you know can you bring enough people in but i don't think and, and and maybe somebody's done some analysis on this i don't think it's like it covers the investment straight in the beginning right like i don't i think that overall the country's going to see a loss from hosting that event because there's so many expenses up front but they're kind of betting that okay if we can get a bunch of tourists to come in they're going to like our country and then they're going to come back And over time, you kind of recoup that sort of thing. But, I mean, it's tough because, like, when you look at Qatar and, like, you look at, like, some of the things that we've seen, like we said with the human rights issues, is that really painting Qatar in, like, a good light? Is this actually going to be helping their tourism, like, specter even because of some of the things that are now coming to light because you're getting that international spotlight on yourself? I mean, it's, it's got to be so challenging. And then, uh, you know, the whole thing with, like, FIFA kind of rigging some of the bidding. Is it really fair the way that the countries get selected? It's a whole – I mean, every, everything about it, I feel like, is, is it's really tough. So that's a really good question, Care.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like I always um, find it interesting how big corporations like FIFA, NCAA – Um, you know they're always kind of they get away with a lot of stuff Uh, I think that's probably the best way to put it but um, again when it comes to you know world stages like March Madness or with the World Cup they're kind of everything's kind of forgotten at least for that moment and then we'll talk about it maybe a couple of weeks after or something but um, we'll see what happens you know like another thing I was thinking about is the Olympics this year, you know, with Tokyo are facing a lot of hits because there will be limited fans or no fans in attendance, right? Just um, funny be, that they,
3: sorry. Yeah, less okay. tourism.
1: Why are they calling
3: it 2020 Olympics?
1: <laughs> but anyways. Yeah. Same thing with the Euros, right? They're doing, I think they're in 2020 Euros. So, uh, But uh, both of those things, uh, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, that bounces back in the World Cup or like you said, Jacob, um, they're just going to keep facing losses and, now they're going to be like billions or trillions of dollars in debt. Uh, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, it's it's possible. It's crazy. And I think, you know, this actually ties in really well with uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, about the World Cup. Um, I think, I'm not sure which country it was. For some reason, I want to say like Saudi Arabia. But a, one of the countries like formally made like a formal petition for FIFA to like look into hosting a World Cup for men and women every two years. So instead of every four, it would be every two years. And um, I mean, obviously, it's it's been every four years for, I'm guessing, a little bit now. It's kind of ingrained in how the World Cup works. But when you think about it, maybe every two years could be better. If you think about these countries making these investments, maybe there's more to go around. Maybe. You know, you can host one now and then in a, 20 years from now, try to make more out of, your, out of your stadiums, out of your investment. But then also you think about the players. You know, we, we talk about a lot, players playing a ton of games. Can the players handle that? Is that going to mess up the whole international schedule over the four-year period? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that goes into, like, making this decision – to make this move, but what would your guys' thoughts be on a, a World Cup
2: every two years?
3: Uh, yeah, I've just looked it up. It was Saudi Arabia. That's interesting of a proposal. I don't think they should do it. One, because that adds another layer to the chaos that is a soccer player's schedule. And two, it, it takes away from the significance or the value in winning a World Cup um, if you have double the amount of World Cups in a ten-year span than you usually would have, then I feel like it takes away from the the value of winning one. Because it's every four years, it feels much more. It feels much more prized. Like if you talk to any young footballer or player in their prime right now, you ask them what's 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 their what's their number one goal. If they don't say winning a European club trophy, um, they'll probably say I uh, want to wear a World Cup for my country. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like if it's every two years, then it 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 won't be it won't it wouldn't be as special and it wouldn't be as uh, like it, imagine if the Olympics were every two years. You know, it would take take it would take some significance away from the Olympics. The fact that it happens only twice in in a ten year span is 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 pretty pretty unique. Yeah. See, for
0: the Olympics, I think it might actually be a little bit more reasonable just because of the way that like people qualify for events. Like I know that some like great talents get kind of like lost in between years and whatnot. But I think for a soccer career, that's not really quite as applicable, but I, I think you make a good point. And I think if it, so here's, here's what I'm thinking is like, if it's every two years, that means that every summer is a world cup because it'll be men's, women's men's, women's men's women's. I, I believe is how they probably do it. And I, I get what you're saying, Vandy. Like, I don't know if that would just be, like, too much. Like, every summer to have a World Cup, and maybe it maybe won't be quite as exciting if you don't have to wait a little bit. K.R., what do you think?
1: I think the women's, they've already decided to do it every two years, which, again, I think mm. is, you know, every, too, too much too fast. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like they're trying to change everything up with the World Cup, you know, way too much than it needs to be. I know for the 2026, they've expanded the teams already because they're going to be hosting in three different countries. Um, and that added, I think, like 16 more games or something like that. So that's obviously going to help out with um, from a business perspective if that's what they're looking at for, changing it to every two years. You're already, you've already you already kind of assisted that in one way or another. Um, the only other reason I think they would want to change it is maybe to get players to play more. Um, you know, we, we see... Messi and Ronaldo only have a shot at the World Cup every four years. But hey, how about headlines of Messi and Ronaldo having a shot at winning it every two years? Um, But again, I feel like that strays away from I think. If people have been listening to all episodes of uh, our podcast, they probably know that I'm a big tradition guy when it comes to soccer. So um, when they're when they're trying to kind of mess with that that aspect of the game, I don't really agree with it um, unless you give me a really good reason for it. So, um, again, I, if there's no purpose for it besides business, I don't think it should be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. And I think it also will impact some of the other competitions like the continental uh, competitions like the Euros and, you know, I, I forget what they call. I think the it's U.S. Like has Copa, Latin, Copa Latin America. America. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, so it will it will mess up some of these, um, I guess, smaller events, but still like meaningful in terms of playing and and lifting trophies for your country. Um, I think, I mean, by by making the World Cup happen more often, I think it would totally overshadow those other cups, those other international competitions. So, I mean, there's also a, a trade off there as well, but definitely. Definitely a challenging thing, just the, the the concept of holding one. And I think to me, like with COVID and everything, and I think just now um, Bayern for their last game are going to have like 250 fans in, in the stadium. Like 250 in like a, well, however, probably 60,000 at least stadium. Like that's going to be crazy. And to like just even conceptualize going back to like normal after COVID and hosting like a whole World Cup, having all these tourists and managing this whole thing. I mean, it's going to be I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, as we have this like kind of first World Cup back, first large event back and then followed by the Olympics if there are going to be lasting changes to these huge events due to COVID and how even just traveling around works. I know, you know, we're in the U S um, so we've been uh, obviously the vaccines have been big. U S has been hit harder than other countries as well, but a lot of people are now vaccinated in the U.S. I think I was reading about uh, Germany that like most of the players aren't vaccinated yet. The vaccines aren't quite as big in some of the European nations that haven't been hit quite as hard. Um, So maybe the players aren't vaccinated for a lot of teams. And, you know, how is that going to impact how things work? And I I was also seeing about the Olympics where they were saying like, oh, like the athletes village is going to be very different. Um, So it's just going to be I think it's going to be really intriguing to see the changes that come for these events um, as they come up.
1: I think they always also think of it only in the benefits that the change would bring rather than the consequences. Right? Uh, They're always like, "Okay, if we have it every two weeks, that means we get to expose to more countries. Tourism goes up in those countries. Again, I feel like it all loops back to money in one way or another. Uh, And they're kind of just thinking of that aspect, but not about how much they're going to have to spend or how many citizens might be impacted by, you know, more stadiums or villages going up and stuff like that. So um, I guess that's just how business rolls in in the world of uh, FIFA. But uh, we'll see if there's one optimistic
2: soul in the chairboard that's like, hey, listen, man, hold your horses. We'll have to see. We'll have to see
0: obviously changes are needed to be made to a certain extent of course they're always tinkering always trying to improve and be better but you know i do feel with with some of the things that we're hearing lately with the whole super league changes to the champions league format now changes to the world cup that there are some significant changes being made and i know like we're in like a period now after COVID or still having COVID, but probably trying to move past it. And, and I guess people are thinking now would be a great time for change because we just changed from regular and we're trying to get back to some sort of regular. So maybe we make some changes and see where it goes. But I, I do get what you're saying and get where you're coming from care, where you're like, you know, soccer is a lot about tradition. There's no denying that tradition is important to the fans, important to the soccer community. Um, obviously, soccer still wants to grow, still wants to gain a bigger audience. Um, but there is so much as too much change. Um, and, and I think a lot of the like current followers and fans will be like, all right, well, if, if there are too many changes, they're not going to enjoy it. They're not going to like it. And it's not worth like losing some of your existing supporters for trying to gain so many new ones, I think. So it's, it's definitely tough. Uh, I think, I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast before, like one of the uh, club owners were like, Oh, like, you know, we'll play like a 60 minute game because people are like, are like new fans are saying, Oh, like, soccer games take too long and like i mean that's that's just crazy like just to like be willing to change the entire like rules of the sport just to cater to like a a a new audience that may or may not enjoy the sport is crazy and i think you know the mlb is, is having similar issues to contrast to like american sports but i don't know it's, it's definitely crazy, and and you're right, Kara. Like, it all comes back to the money. Um, and, you ha- and you have to have these, um, you know, outbursts and, and outcries by fans and by supporters to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is about football. This is about tradition. We're doing this because we love the sport. We love the game and not just for the money. All right, so – Moving on here, and unfortunately, Chris isn't with us this evening, but he would be happy to know, and uh, if you want to catch his rant, you can go back to last episode. Uh, Chris would be happy to know that the Columbus crew have taken some feedback from their supporters. Uh, We mentioned last week that they're changing their logo, they're changing their name. Um, They are still going to be the Columbus crew. They said they met with some of their supporters. They heard the chat boards. They heard Chris spewing his opinions on this podcast and his hatred towards the club. And they said, you don't want to know what, Chris? We're keeping it the crew just for you, Chris. Um, So, yes, Columbus will still be the crew. I think they're still keeping that same sort of uh, logo where it's like the Ohio flag. I think they were going to tweak it to include uh, the number 96 as well um, and maybe draw a little bit more to some similarities from their last emblem. But they heard the supporters, they heard the fans, uh, and they're making the change. Are you guys excited? Are you relieved? I'm, I'm sorry, we can't have Chris here to do his take. I'm sure he would have been
2: uh, overwhelmed with joy. Hey, I would uh, have thought Chris would have
3: actual zoom on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I feel like that's one of the first times in recent memory that a sports organization immediately responded to the request of fans in uh, something that is that big. You know, I feel like a lot of times, like I remember when the, this is basketball, when the Charlotte Hornets, or I was the Pelicans, when the Pelicans uh, changed their logo and people were saying that the Pelican is ugly and I'm like, it's big, big mouth and all that. They kept their same thing, but I'm glad to see that they're so interactive with their fans that they can change this under such a short time span. Or who knows? Maybe Chris just went up to their office and met with them behind the scenes. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Maybe that's
0: maybe that's why he's not with us on the episode today. Exactly, he's on. He's on. He's on the red. <laughs>
3: the red eye back to Florida right now as we
2: speak. Maybe even driving.
0: Him. <laughs> maybe. I mean, he he got moving quick. Word got out that Chris was mad, and they they changed
1: right back. <laughs> Did he go down to Florida to have this board meeting with them? Or
2: uh Yeah, he didn't maybe. tell us why he was in Florida. <laughs>
1: you noticed that he didn't tell us why he was
0: there. <laughs> he was there and he was angry at the same time. So
1: there you go. Maybe,
2: maybe. We'll
1: see. Chris is am behind
2: the scenes.
1: Yeah, he's a mastermind of uh Polar FC, if that's what he is. Uh I'm not surprised that they did it this quick, to be honest. Um, they I mean. Obviously, they want to make sure, I guess, their fans are happy or they buy their merch uh, in one way or another. But um, it's surprising to me that they changed it and they still kept the logo. Uh, I guess they kind of maybe met in the middle one way or another. But um, yeah, like Vandy said, you know, it's surprising. I have in modern, I would say modern sports times, uh, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, I remember doing. I do remember uh, something about the Niners doing something like this where they came out with, like, a new version of a logo or whatever, and and, uh, people were unhappy. But, uh, like, a whole new branding of a team, uh, we we haven't seen that in a while. So, um, it's interesting to see that, you know, the MLS is, I guess, finally in in, in the news, but maybe for the wrong reasons. Uh, Hopefully, that can change going forward. But um, hopefully, you know, like we said... Uh, Chris is happy hey. Man, I have a big C. maybe the is for Chris too. This is all coming yep. together guys. It's all coming
0: together. Um, I think just to go off that another thing that I saw today is that a Manchester United uh, ownership is going to meet with the supporters and then get a talk with them and try to gauge where they stand on things. And I mean it just ties in because it's it's ownership. it's leadership of the clubs responding to fans i mean in this case seemed to have some sort of a compromise they kept the name which i think that was chris's biggest thing if i if i'm remembering right obviously they're still changing the logo but they agreed to tweak it a little bit to include some of the things that the fans wanted it'll be interesting to see if some of the european clubs that you know have a different tradition have a different following are and have a different ownership structure as well if they are quite as receptive to some of the calls that the fans are making and of course in Europe it's a little bit different especially with Manchester United we're not talking about changing a logo we're talking about changing leagues that you're playing in so i think that's maybe i don't know i would argue that's probably a higher higher priority maybe a little bit more serious but i mean it's 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 always interesting to see how these clubs interact because it's it's unique because they are businesses but it's a business that's that's like no other the ties are so strong to one geographic area one fan base that it's it's a really unique i mean business if you if you want to say it's a business um so it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these clubs react to that any any thoughts on uh on clubs listening to fans
2: yeah i guess the the last thing i would say is uh
1: it's trending in the right direction where i guess both parties are happy um you know oftentimes it's those who control the team or you know who worked behind the scenes often had the final say but i feel like the the lever or if you want to call it the pendulum or the the waiting skill or whatever, it's kind of evening out in one way or another um, where the fans are having a little bit more impact than they did back in the day. So, um, and I think a lot of that has to happen with the involvement of social media nowadays. Um, You know, we see fans quickly go and, and have teams or hashtags trending. So that obviously, you know, can be seen by the chair, uh, Chairboard of whatever sports organization it is, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, many leagues started adapting aspects where fans can, you know, vote for something or have a say or have a spokesperson, um, you know, kind of be on the board as well. Yeah, yeah, and
0: I think it ties back into kind of what we were talking about earlier with the World Cup and some of the human rights issues, some of the issues that excuse me, issues that fans may have a problem with, right? The, we could see, and it's a little bit more obvious, of course, with the players, with them doing um, anything on the field, anything to raise awareness, we can see that. But I think that there have been some pushback from fans as well. I remember uh, there was a sign outside of the stadium for Bayern before they went to the, I think they were in the UAE, to play like some sort of international cup sort of thing. Um, but there were signs about human rights violations. So it's it's clear that at least some of the fans have have similar um, stances to the players uh, on these issues. And you have to wonder that, you know, if the fans had more control, if the supporters had more control, would the, you know, layout of some of the, the leagues or the competitions look the same way? Vandy, any, any thoughts on this one?
2: Yeah, Vandy, is always a good thing wasn't a bad thing, I think, in
3: general. Um, it just depends on the leeway that you give uh, to them. Um, I think they do need to make um, some more decisions when it comes to um, certain internal things, but obviously, as far as transfers go and things of that nature, we, we may never get to that point, but I think... Sometimes it's good to just get um, ears in on the decision that are outside of the organization because sometimes you guys or sometimes
2: guys within a, a board all have the same vision, but they, their vision may not necessarily align with the supporters' vision. Yeah,
0: yeah. See where you're coming from. We'll have to see. I mean, it seems like, and maybe it's just me, but it seems like as times as time progresses, the public and the supporters and the, you know, the general people have more and more impact on what's happening at the leadership level at the club in general. Um, Maybe that's just optics. Maybe that's just how, how it seems to look. And maybe that's not true, but it's, it'll be interesting to see, especially in the wake of the super league, uh, how,
3: how the clubs react.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's
3: a great example. I mean, I feel like that was more so optics, whereas the entire world was against you <laughs> forming this super league. But um, it shows what the power of group speak can do. Um, I imagine, like, let's say, for example, Tottenham, good example. So Tottenham, I mean, Kane has come out and said that he doesn't want to play for them anymore. Um, I imagine, like, let's say they, they petition and say, oh, well, women's own wages need to be raised or something i guarantee you they'll consider that he's if kane leaves he's their most important player and he deserves the money and it I, I would say that he would be a little underpaid if kane leaves you know what i'm saying um and how would you ensure that he stays Well, you need to pay him more and if a fa- if the fans were to protest that in,
2: in front of the stadium then i think that the board will somewhat consider yeah yeah, I see where you're coming from. I and mean, that's
0: that's getting into a whole nother realm too with contracts and how complicated that all is um, and how public it is when you think of like comparison to any other business. But certainly interesting. We'll keep, keep our eye out on that. I'm sure that's something that we'll be talking about in the future too. Um, for our next topic here, I'm going to toss it over to KR. You want to uh, intro us in a little? I think you have a, a
2: little talk on some PSG. Yeah, so um, we had uh, Maurizio
1: Pochettino, was the, uh, you know, I guess this is another segue from the Tottenham talk that we were having a couple of seconds ago, but he was the former manager of Tottenham Hotspurs and then he was sacked um, after they had failed to progress, I believe, in the Champions League after their pretty decent season that they had. Um, when we first saw that Sun and Kane connection Uh, finally come to life so um, after he was fired though he didn't he wasn't able to find something for a little while and then he was picked up by PSG and put into a team with Neymar and Mbappe he was obviously able to um, you know pick up the strides where exactly he left off um, with Tottenham and and kind of go into more winning ways or um, you know at least continue the success that he was known for for a long time. And this year, he was able to win two trophies with PSG. And um, surprisingly, he's still kind of under fire. And uh, people are saying that he might get sacked six months into his reign as a PSG manager, although he's won uh, two trophies in his half year that he's been there with. Uh, So I just kind of wanted to kind of get your guys' take on, if you know what Maurizio Pochettino has uh, gone through or, um, you know, if you think it's just in one way or another where we've seen managers step in, succeed, I would say on paper, but obviously not at the high scale and, and you know, check that box of whatever it may be, whether it be Champions League, Europa League, or just obtaining a, uh, a trophy wherever they go. Um, what do you guys think? Is the... I would say the requirement to be a manager for a high-level club like PSG, just or is it unjust?
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Oh, sorry, Vandy, you go. Oh, I think you muted. You muted. Yeah. I was just thinking that there are like maybe six or
3: seven clubs where you don't really have room to fail. Like you have a two year window and if you're not successful, then you're on the hot seat, but less all right, like, yeah, I would say Real Madrid, Barcelona, Man United, because there's, there's such a rich club, PSG, Bayern. Um, and then maybe yeah, city and Liverpool too, but their managers are going to be there for a while. Um Chelsea, you know, we've been in and out. We went to Conte, then we had Lampard, and now Tuchel's doing a good job. But I think that the window is a little bit different there. Um, because we're still we're still uh we're we're not we're not dominating our league. You know, we're 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 top four, but we're not as dominant as as Liverpool has been in recent years or, or a city. But that's of the point. So basically at these clubs, I feel like the expectation is warranted because you're one of the richest clubs. And what that means is that you have the money to go out and get the talent. So if your talent isn't, if your manager, if your coach isn't deploying the talent in a way that leads to success, I think that you don't have a room for failure. Like let's say, uh, let's say that, like perfect example, when um what's his name? Arsenal legend went to Toronto and coached and they were terrible. Why well, I can't think of his name. Thierry Henry. Thierry. Yeah. Yeah. When he went to when he went to Toronto and coached them, they were awful. But he got the whole season to himself because of, you know, his his uh his resume. So if a, if a Pochettino went and coached uh 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 Wolverhampton, they wouldn't they wouldn't sack him after after two years. They'd give him a little long a little longer, I would think. Um so it it, it just it's just tiers of clubs, and when you get to that level, you don't have much time to, to mess up. It's a sad situation because some some coaches, it seems unwarranted, but I feel like when you're at such a big club, yes, you have to live up to the expectation because they're paying you the big bucks to do that. I have to say that
0: my reaction to this is that I think that the clubs are a little too harsh. I think that the tendency to switch coaches is a little bit too high for some of these clubs. Like, like Vandy mentioned, some of the clubs at the highest level, like I know Barca sticks out where they've been switching managers. To try to find a good fit, I think that a lot of the times the clubs might be a little too impatient. I think that it's tough as like a coach and as a player to come onto a club um, and to make that connection, to get used to the coach's setup and formation and tactics. And I think that six months is not enough time. I, I also argue that PSG has been doing really well, and I I don't know, you know. I think the the margin between PSG, who well lost in what? The semis this year, lost in the final last year. The margin between where they are now and winning the Champions League or whatever goals that they wanted the coach to accomplish, that margin is so small. And that there's a much bigger chance that you bring in someone new, it doesn't transition well, and you take a step back. Than taking that tiny little inch forward because it's just so tough when you get to that level. And I think it's, I mean, it's not like PSG has been a failure. It's not like they haven't been getting real close in the champions league and they're a consistent threat and favorite to to make it all the way. No one's sitting here saying PSG is an easy team. In fact, you know, me as a Byron fan, I know just how, how tough they are. And I think they deserve uh, the win they got. and I think they're a great club. And I think that if I was PSG, I would be saying, look, stick with our guy. We got him. He's working with the players. We have a good play style. We're keeping our players. I know uh, Draxler just re-signed for them. Um, and they're, you know, in talks to try to get messy uh, of all players. Um, I would say to stick with your coach. It's going pretty well. It seems like he's got a good contact with the players, and I don't think it's worth it to try to,
2: you know, make everyone restart, make everyone learn a whole new thing and go through that adjustment again. That's, that's I fair. don't know, maybe it's just me. No, I mean, it makes sense because when you – I mean,
3: it's like when you get to that top level, like when – when, when Neymar and Messi-Suarez were, were a tandem, they didn't win Champions League every year. You know, in fact, Real Madrid reeled off, reeled off that three-peat. So it's like, even though you have top-tier talent, it, it's still not the easiest thing to just, nothing is guaranteed. It's just so many good players out there. And just because you have a star-studded lineup and, and you bring in an excellent coach, you can't expect him to win everything, you know. So I, I do get that point. I'm just saying, like, let's say you're Barcelona um, and you fail to make top four with that team. I think he needs to be sacked. I don't care. It's like you're Barcelona. You have to make the top four. But when it comes to a nitpicking thing, like. If if a coach is on the hot seat because they lose in a Champions League final, like like a, um, like if Man, if Man City's if Man City's manager doesn't win the final. And people say he should be on the hot seat. I think that's a little unwarranted. Like, they had a great season. They dominated the Prem for much of the year. It's a runaway. Um, and, you know, they finally secured it. But it's like, I mean, making it to the final is still a great accomplishment in itself. You may not get the hardware for it, but that's a wonderful accomplishment. Yeah. I think,
0: yeah, of course, everyone wants to win trophies, but like, at what cost? Sorry, care.
1: Yeah, I, no, that's exact. That's probably the best way to phrase it because I think a lot of people are trying to um, hunt after that dynasty title um, that maybe Real Madrid or Barcelona had back in the early 2000s, right, um, where they won three Champions League back-to-back with Real Madrid and Ronaldo. They're, that title, they're trying to chase that too much, but like you said, at what cost? Um, you're having teams and players kind of leave because of their dissatisfaction of clubs always hiring different managers or you know just um overall unsatisfactory results from the um the managers and and the teams themselves so i don't know where i don't know where the fine line is but uh, i also agree with randy in a sense that there should be a certain um i say level of requirement or a level of success that needs to be achieved for a coach in, in uh high-end club, Uh, so, uh, but I think it's also getting a little out of hand. But in today's age, it's very hard to be like that dynasty back in the 2000s. You have players and teams who are, you know, very different
2: each year, and um, it's just interesting to see how that expectation is still there. Yeah, always tough, always reaching for the top. And we want
0: to see the clubs do that. Obviously, no one wants to see their club say, oh, you know, we're not really trying to win at all. Everyone wants to see their clubs say, you know, we're going for the top. We're going for all the trophies and we're going to try to, you know, win a treble or win a whatever. But realistically, it's not going to happen every year. There are lots of good clubs out there. There are lots of clubs that deserve to win hardware and, what, and can earn it. And you're not going to win every year. And that's, a, that's the, the reality of it, but it's also what makes it fun. So, obviously, expectations, reality, you always got to grapple with that, uh, no matter what you're doing, even outside of soccer. But
2: uh, any, any
0: closing thoughts for us here, guys? No? All right. Well, it's been a great episode. I enjoyed having you guys here with me. Um, I'm Jacob. We also got K.R. and Vandy in the studio today. Thanks for listening.
2: Have a great week and uh, catch you same time next week.